when you sort of get the symbolism of the Taurus, which is just simply and essentially the cow's horns and the bull, but what it really is is to one circle and an arc. Yeah, the moon's disc uh, above the circle of the Earth. Right, and the, the moon always refers to, to the psychic, to the symbolism of, of psychic phenomena, and the earth or the sphere to the spirit. So in the sign Taurus, you get the fusion of the moon and the earth. It's the, the sign of, of steady home life. Um, and what you've really got here is the initial mental beginnings in Aries going through to, to the, um, to, the building of or the clothing of astral substance to the to the thought form. So first of all, you get the idea, and then you actually have to put the idea into practice. When you put the idea into practice, you have to add to it emotional substance, the substance of desire. You want to project the idea into manifest space, and so Taurus is the clover on the embodier of the divine idea. And um, this then later on in, in Orthodox astrology brings in the the home builder, the um, the stable sort of um, person there that that builds a very very strong sort of um, home life of material comforts and all the rest of that. And um, you can see in Taurus, the exoteric ruler is Venus. We, esoterically, we have different ideas as to such things as Venus than, than the exoteric um, understanding of it. Exoterically, Venus is the god of love, if you wish. You know, she was um, a great lover in Greek mythology. She was uh, actually wedded to Vulcan, or Hespites in the Greek, Vulcan in the Roman sort of philosophy. But uh, she really loved uh, had eyes and all these other gods and um, her favourite god actually which she sort of often sort of wedded with or went to bed with was Mars anyway she, she combined herself had lots of relationships with all these other gods and this lame god Hephaestus who um, forged all the weapons of the gods was a very jealous one I won't go into all the myths of, of, of these because we'll be here much much longer than, than the time allotted of the myths of, of um, all the signs of the zodiac but uh, but I'm sort of I'm pointing out that esoterically um, Venus is the mind. She actually is the the beauty of the mind of ordered patterns that produces this nature. Um, all of um, the, the the angelic kingdom is ruled by Venus by the qualities of the mind, and you can see the diversification in nature, all the ways that flowers are and trees are and leaves and all the various diversifications is the way the mind works to produce beauty and harmony in nature. And this is the exoteric ruler of, of Taurus, is Venus. So it's, it's the beauty of the mind and the clove of the form. If you wish, you can think of, of Taurus almost like the child being born in the womb after the seed has been planted. Aries plants the seed and Taurus is the, the nurturing of the child in the womb, that home type of environment. Nice, comfortable lifestyle. So, um, exoterically, um, we have um, the quality for Taurus called blind, unrushing desire. Uh, this desire quality that, that feeds the divine thought 
and in average human beings, of course, you get all of the desires and um, sensualities of the material plane lifestyle. They desire a nice home life, they want a woman or two in bed with them, or whatever it is, and they want to uh, build themselves a swimming pool in the backyard and all those sorts of things. That's brine and rushing desire, and that's Taurus. Yeah, exoterically, that's the way it works, and you see it all around you. Um, and Taurus, Taurians also, you know, exoterically, great, supposed to be great lovers because of this, this bull-like quality in the desire. Um, anyway, you've got in my picture here, sort of nice, um, square sort of paddocks and things like that, which is the way Venus works with the mind. And you've got on one side the home or the hearth, um, which is the consciousness. Um, raising aspect on the other side, some sheep and things, which has got to do with the Ida, um, Nadi aspect, the um, aspect to do with material thinking. Now, its element is the earth, and orthodox astrology looks at this as well, and what do we see in the earth is the, the material plane. And so, we go from mental beginnings or the fiery element in Aries um, to the earthy element in Taurus. The practicality of living on the um, material plane, I often think of Taurians that they can work well with their hands because of this earthy nature. They're the home builders again and again and again and again. And um, it's a fixed cross and therefore Taurus is basically concerned with the awakening of consciousness. Not so much active, they more prefer to, to sit in material comforts. They're not the sort of type of um, beings that are going to go out and explore and all the rest of it. They're very practical people. You find sometimes there's mechanics or whatever. And um, esoterically, those that are sort of working as disciples and trying to overcome blind, unrushing desire and all the things that it produces, they are the clover of the divine foot. They, for instance, often you'll find them as as writing books, sp doing all sorts of spiritual things in this new age. Uh, the new, new age type of ideas and idealisms is very much a type of Taurian quality. But most of the, the ancient religions that we know of in ancient Egypt, etc., most of those ancient teachings are really Taurian in nature. Most of them are formed at the age of Taurus. Right, this is just before the age of Aries, and so we're going something like 4000 BC, and we get the Greek religion and uh, Maya or whatever the, um, of course, Crete at that time was at its height, and the Torian and the Egyptian religion as a whole, and Ur, Babylonia, Chaldea, those religions um, were very much um, Torian in nature. Okay, and um, so. The Taurian has really got the ability to, to clothe the initial images that, that come through meditation with much more verbiage to make it much more palatable to average human beings in their thinking. And, um, esoterically, it's the all-seeing eye, the eye of wisdom. Buddha was Taurus. The Wisak festival, Buddha's Paranirvana, was in the month of May, which is Taurus. And um, the reason is because it's the sign of the awakening of the eye, the all-seeing eye. And the very central picture of this concerns this eye that is awakened in Taurus. 
So uh, essentially, uh, everything to do with Taurus esoterically concerns the way of the awakening of the eye that allows you to see all things in time and space. The Taurus also esoterically governs the cosmic astral plane. With just a little thing. So Taurus governs the way of looking into cosmic astral space. And the third sign of the zodiac is Gemini. And, uh, yeah. And basically what I've got in my picture of Gemini is the rainbow path, the seven rays. It's the sign of the temple, the temple builders. And, um, of the entire Nadi system, which is the temple in the body of God, which is your temple. The Nadi system houses all your energies and the chakras. And therefore, the lovers are the male and female aspects of being, the Ida and Pingala Nadis holding hands, travelling up the seven rays of the, the rainbow bridge. In uh, um, North mythology, it's called Iris. So you're travelling up the rainbow bridge, trying mastering the all of the rays and therefore into the um, the temple of God. Above the sign here, we've got a picture of the grand geometrician of the universe um, encompassing or expanding the, the pillars of the temple. In the old sort of um, tarot system, you've got Yachim and Bayez uh, as the left and the right temples of the pillar. And um, Demini is the entry, therefore, into cosmic space. as the door of entry into cosmic space because... Um, this is what you do once you begin to live in the energy body. And that's what this particular um, card is all about. And of course, what at first in Gemini, you get type of um, the, the brothers, and you can call them sisters if you want, it's, it's a relatively material term, but the brothers at first warring, they, they, their hands are sort of uh, clenched fists and they, they are sort of arguing with each other. They can't, don't like each other, right? It's a normal type of relationship where there's always friction and strife. And what the Gemini subject has to learn to do is unite hands and work together in all fields of endeavour. And when they can do so, then it opens the doorways into higher and higher levels of, of perception, higher and higher levels of being. Okay, so... Um, one another symbol of Gemini is, in a sense, is blood itself is prana, blood is life is prana, and they, um, resolve all the dualities in the, um, in the zodiac. They bring to a harmony all the polar opposites. And therefore, they bring to a harmony, once they learn to shake hands, um, the spilling of blood. They learn to resolve that. Does that make sense to you? So, um, Gemini is the sign that um, brings all op opposite um, conditionings into a unity and works that way. And this is again through the, done through the temple, through the worship of God, if you wish. And um, it's a mutable sign. We, it always goes like this, you know, cardinal, um, uh, cardinal fixed mutable, cardinal fixed mutable, cardinal fixed mutable, and, and the signs likewise of the elements you can form a cross and you can work that this patterning within the zodiac as it goes, there's no mutable sign and this therefore is one of activity months constant activity and therefore exoterically you get the ruler Mercury um, for Mercury Mercury is the exoteric ruler and here you basically get the, the fluid analytical mind of Mercury um, being very very fast and racy so the the old sort of the mixoteric symbol of Mercury that, that, that governed merchants, 
shipping and things like that because mercury is the way that um, they figured that uh, it would work in, in orthodox life patterns. All right, so you can see the fluid analytical mind working out with merchants counting of money, you know, very, very quickly, sort of able to know how to make uh, profits and uh, and dividends and all the rest of it. And shipping is just um, freight-footedness of the mercury. Um, you all know mercury holds uh, the the god mercury holds the caduceus staff um, and wings on its feet, and it's often the symbol of of males of the world. Um, Mailing system, airmail, and things like that. Nearly always has a symbol of Mercury um, because of the fleet-footedness of Mercury. So you can see the the quickness of the mind, um, and there's a mutable cross revolving, turning all the way. Okay, so um, the element is air. It's a, a very very good element, and since that um, when you sort of go into astrology and go into relationships, then you'll find, for instance, Aquarius, the sign we're going to now in this new age, is also air, airy. Um, and therefore it's allied with Mercury, and then the other air sign is Libra, uh, which is, uh, so there's three signs, Libra, the balances, and Gemini and Aquarius are the three air signs, and they have a very, very strong influence in this new age. So this particular chart here, I've, I've um, allied them according to the elements. The exoteric statement from Mercury is fluid, oft mutable relationships. So you can see at first, um, Mercury governs average human relationships, where people are interrelating all the time, and they, and, you know, the people are coming and going, and sort of like people's relationships are like a revolving door. Um, some new person comes in, somebody else leaves, and sort of all the time you're finding new lovers, new friends, and going to different cities. This is all the exoteric symbolism of of Mercury. I mean, of Gemini, under the influence of Mercury. Esoterically, um, you've got the sign Venus ruling it, and this brings in the mind. Esoterically, now it's Venus. Exoterically, it's fluid, mutable relationships under Mercury. Um, but Venus then brings in the, the wise, loving mind, and we get the temple builders. So... Um, when you come bring into Venus, instead of being this sort of impulsive, sometimes irrational sort of Mercurian mind, um, you suddenly get a very, very quiet contemplative mind, which is building a temple of the Lord on the physical plane. What it means, of course, is that in Gemini, the temple builders are those that are cleaning up the, the nadis, cleaning up the chakras, working upon the emotions, working upon the mind, making the physical body, for instance, a fit place uh, for the kingdom of God or the energies of God of enlightenment consciousness to reside, and so they build the temple within the within, and they build the temples outside in our civilizations. And so the great temples of ancient times were actually formulated initially in the sign Gemini. When you're going back to the sign Gemini, what are you going back? You're going to the age of Aries, then the age of well, age of Pisces, Aries, Taurus. Gemini. So that's now 6000 BC, and here you get the old stone temples in the hole, such as uh, Stonehenge, those some um, types of dolmens and earth magic. And esoterically, it's called the Divine Intermediary, and it's ruled by the earth itself, and this Divine Intermediary is the initiate 
who stands um, between humanity and average human thinking and the kingdom of God. So they just simply are a perfect conduit for these energies. And so it's again this duality. Um, so the symbol of Mercury is always, uh, of Gemini is always duality and the divine intermediary between humanity and all of their master motions and the kingdom of God. And they translate the images and messages from the kingdom of God for humanity. And Gemini, I always look at as, as a doorway to cosmic perception. This is where most of the work is done that allows you to vision cosmically, to travel into the stars. If you wish. The fourth sign of the zodiac. Now, what we're doing here is Cancer. And what we're doing here, we're starting off with Aries and we're going from initial mental beginnings, and that's the mental plane. And in Taurus, we get this quality of desire. We're adding in the astral element. In Mercury, we're now going down to the physical. We're adding in, we're going to the etheric body. You can see there's a descent of consciousness, and the etheric body now holds all the chakras. Now, in Cancer, is the doorway into physical plane expression. And um, what is expressed in in cancer is is all of these emotions. The mental body, the emotional body and the energy body finds its grounding in cancer, so it's a gateway of birth. Cancer always is means birthing of something or other. Cancer is the most watery of all the signs. And um, some signs, like Aries, in a sense, is the most fiery of the signs. Cancer is the most watery of all the signs, of the water signs. And um, the other two water signs, as you can see here, are Scorpio and um, Pisces. These water signs are, are really, in many ways, the, the signs where the most difficult aspects of the human, human beings are expressed, the emotions human emotions through and through produce all the problems in this, this society and human interrelationships and so forth. So uh, this is one of the most difficult of all the signs to explain cancer properly esoterically because it's got to do with the gateway of birth. And um, it's on the cardinal cross. We're going back now to the cardinal. Um, all the four signs of the cardinal cross uh, and cancer is one, Libra is another one, and um, Aries is one, and then the pole opposite of Aries, which is uh, well, the pole opposite of Aries is Libra. The pole opposite of Cancer is Capricorn, is the other. These ones are the most difficult of all the signs because they've got to do with um, cosmic direction to properly explain it theoretically. This particular symbolism I've got here for Cancer, as you can see, is it's got a crab running backwards holding on with its claws, so that jewel, which is the jewel of life, and um, there's some symbol above that, which uh, has really got to do with the cosmic egg, and um, the way Kundalini fires awoken, awaken and project into the head center. The, this is um, part of the divine geometry. All these cards are geometrically linked, and I won't go into geometry now, but it's massive amounts of geometry that interrelate to all these signs, and Cancer is the the sign that um, that all the geometry is based on. With its six claws, with six um, legs coming out and the claws hanging on to this, this gem. So, it's a, it's a vast subject. So, 
Anyway, the esoteric, exoteric sign for cancer is the moon. And moon means psychic re- receptivity, as I um, explained earlier. Moon's got to do with the past, all your psychic moods of the past, um, all the watery sort of nature, um, people's um, astralism, people's forms of clairvoyance uh, is veiled by the moon. Most of people's karma is there. And um, so you get a Cancerian person, you know that generally they're going to be moody, um, they're very watery emotionally, and they often have a lot of emotional karma to, to, to be expressed or cleansed out. It depends very much on the aspects. Um, the aspects are the way that the, uh, the planetary rulers stand in relation, the geometrical patterns that the planetary rulers make in relationship to the sign that you're looking at. Okay, they either form a 90 degree angle or a 60 degree angle or a 72 degree angle or a 135 degree angle. They form these types of angles, um, or they polar opposites. These are called aspects in astrology. And so when you're actually trying to look at a chart, you actually have to look at the aspects and, and the aspects fine-tune. And that's based on the place of birth and the time of birth. Okay, so whenever I'm looking at a cancer, if I see somebody somebody's chart that's heavily aspected with cancer, then I know that they've got a lot of things to do with the emotions to clean up. And they can be somewhat psychic. Anyway, it's the the um, the gateway of birth. It's a cardinal sign, and all sorts of things can be given birth to. But normally, it's aspects of the emotions. Exoterically, we have massed psychic sensitivity and reaction. So, um, Cancerians are always psychically sensitive to the environment, to people's moods, to to energies all around them. So they can be swayed and swirled in this massive emotions and energies. They can be very gregarious. In other words, there's a whole lifestyle that, um, of this emotional world that they, they fit very well into. Um, and that's their, their, their big problem that they really have to learn to master. Esoterically, um, cancer is ruled by Neptune. What that Neptune is God of the waters. Neptune has the, the three pronged staff. And um, the Dorje itself is just a version of it's a Tibetan symbol for um, immutable power. And it's just a version of, when you look at it in one direction, it's a version of the staff of Neptune. And the rod that Shiva has with the three prongs, the Tridata, is also um, the staff. And so esoterically, what the Cancerian has to learn to do is to control the waters, to control the emotions. And the whole battle in cancer is particularly this. Of course, um, as you know, the whole birthing process is with, in a woman when the child is born. First of all, the waters have to be ruptured. So the sac where the child is is ruptured and all the waters come out first and comes out the child. And it's those waters that, um, that must be burst before the child of conscious creativity can be given is what the stimulus of cancer is all about. And the cancer in it has to learn to master the water. And so through and through you get this, this whole symbol of, of waters and the necessity of mastering it, uh, that, um, cancer's all about. So either they totally immerse in the waters and their emotions this way and that and, um, or else they, 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 they're starting to really sort of get a 
full grasp of their emotions and they get a full grasp of psychic powers as a consequence. This is really astral phenomena through and through. So um, the once a Cancerian becomes Neptunian, then they learn to, to master the waters and the esoteric sign is the spell of the waters. Right, and this means therefore they become true psychically sensitive. And um, the enlightened being is some called the light of the watery lives. The one who then sends energy of light into all of the emotional beings and teaches them the way to love. Understand water is just a version of love. It's emotions, um, but eventually when the emotions are transmuted, you get the love in its place. And this is what Neptune is to bring. Neptune is the lord of love, god of love in our solar system. Uh, so we get the number four, and again we can look at numbers here, and um, the fourth sign of that, you get the square, and it's the sign of birthing. And after birthing of the waters, then you get Leo, the fifth sign of the zodiac, and this is um, the sign where intelligence starts to reign supreme. When the mind of a human being starts to be dominant, self-consciousness, so it's the first truly self-conscious sign. This is when the being says, I am. I am this, I am that. I do this, I do that. Uh, I am the center of my little universe. Um, so selfishness, pride, and all these things come from the sign Leo. The fifth sign, the number five, is the number of the mind. And um, the symbolism here is, uh, is also the soul. The soul on its own realm is self-conscious, um, unit within the sea of consciousness that has its own self-enclosed sphere of thought and sphere of being and um, so in this particular card here I have central to the card a picture of the soul symbolically um, portrayed and above that actually a, a sort of a, a serpent, a multi-headed serpent which is the symbol of the monadal spirit but below that is a symbol of a man holding a flower, a petal flower in his heart, um, pointing out that this particular sign here is really the sign of the human kingdom itself, of the sign of man. And underneath that we've got what a, a phrase that was put in a Delphic uh, oracle, man know thyself. Um, and he's actually sort of sitting in the meditation posture of a Buddha with his um, hand on a diamond, the diamond of knowledge of self-consciousness, and the flower he actually holds in the sanctuary is called Saptana Prana, the seven-leaf flower of the chakras and um, the chakra system. And, you know, his, uh, his throne is surmounted by lions, the left and the right nadis. And on the whole, Leo's got to do with the conquering of pride. There's two types of pride, if you wish. One is the pride of whatever you've achieved, whatever you've achieved in as an artist, as a musician, as, as a materialist making lots and lots of money, you know, your second swimming pool or whatever else that, that, that you've achieved in this material world that you think that is so grand and grandiose. Um, that's that type of pride. And the other sort of form of pride is the pride of enlightenment consciousness where your aura starts to radiate out to, to encompass the bounds of this universe. Um, and that's transcendent pride. And um, Leo, this particular sign is both. Um, and the it's also a color. Uh, the color generally is attributed to Leo is, is yellow, golden color. It's the color of healing. And generally, Leo nines are quite magnanimous. They're warm-hearted. They're quite 
sort of generous. They very often like to put themselves at the centre of the universe. They like um, they like groups, and they they they're very gregarious, and they often can attract to them quite easily a group. They're natural born leaders as a consequence um, because of this this quality of the mind and this quality of pride. And late on in enlightenment consciousness, say somebody like a Buddha who has his whole Buddha domain around him. I'm actually speaking very fast. I hope you don't mind. I've got a lot of information to present tonight. And I'm speaking hopefully to English-speaking people. Now, the, we're going back to the fiery element for Leo, the second of the fire signs. And um, the fire element here is very much the orange, the ruddy type fire of the lion. The lion is the king of the jungle. Technically, therefore, the leonine person, like the Cancerian, is really swayed by the emotions. What the leonine person has is actually the ruler of the material world. Whatever they, they set out to achieve, they generally sort of um, can achieve it. And they, they, they've mastered this materialism all around us. This is what the jungle is, the jungle of materialism. And they bask in the sun, they're lords of all the other animals. And the animals are the emotions. All the various different types of emotionalities that people have are uh, the, the animals of this jungle. And so they've technically, because they rule us, the mind is what rules them. Um, the mind sort of can control the emotions, therefore control all the beastly passions of the emotions, and therefore they're the lords of the jungle, kings of the jungle. Or else they're aspiring towards that. Um, that again depends on the the aspects, and um, the the rulership of of Leo is simply sun sun sun. Uh, what that means is exoterically the ruler is the sun, and the sun is the giver of vitality and health and and joy and all of that and life to human beings and to this whole planet. Um, but it also veils esoterically it veils certain planets, Uranus, Neptune, and I think Vulcan. Uh, these are the esoteric rulers. Um, we have, therefore, the esoteric um, qualities of the sign, the self-conscious individual. They're self-conscious, focused upon themselves. They make themselves the center of the universe, as I've seen. And the sun-like qualities. The sun is the center of our solar system, and the leonine subject often likes to shine and be the center of their little universe around them. And um, esoterically, it's called the Lord of the Earthly Domain, as I've mentioned before. They're the rule of the jungle. They've, they master in the sign Leo. They begin to master the materialism and the sign whereby um, a being can aspire out of materialistic thinking into spiritual thinking. And in the Greek mythology, you get um, the, the disciple or the initiate called Hercules um, battling in the sign Leo, uh, all sort of, uh, he's a Leonine battling in the sign Scorpio, doing the, the, the various um, trials and tests that was given to him to master. Um, but he was a Leonine, it was a sun, a sun initiate. In, um, in terms of initiation in our philosophy, we, we relate, this relates to taking the third initiation. Taurus to the first initiation, uh, to the second initiation, and Virgo is his sign of the first initiation. And then, um, so the one who's taken full enlightenment is called here the soul of all life. He simply stands as the luminary, the radiant sun, 
that gives light and life to all sentient beings. The sixth sign of the zodiac is, is a quite a, a beautiful one. It's a very ancient sign. is um, Virgo. And Virgo is the sign of the great mother. It's the sign of mother nature. And you see her in my diagram standing on one of the pillars um, holding the divine child in her womb. Again, worked out through geometry. I won't go fully into this geometry. I could sort of show you how it relates to Hindu philosophy and so forth. But um, the very central sphere, which is her womb, has two children, um, one of the woman um, or a person in a circle with the head, at, uh, feet at the back of the heads and superimposed over that as a child um, with the four, um, the two arms and two legs forming a form of mutable cross at the centre. Um, and what I'm trying to point out there is the inward and the outward universe, the way of looking inwards and the way of looking outwards. Um, there's two ways of forming a sphere, if you wish. One is through making a lot of tangents from the external universe until eventually you enclose a sphere, and another one is radiating out from the centre. So there's the inward universe and there's an outward universe, the way of the heart within and the way of the heart without. Virgo essentially governs um, this um, way of travelling inwards and outwards. It's the most... Uh, I actually like Virgo a lot as a sign. It's an earthy sign, the second of the earthy signs, and um, it's the third ray. As I said, it's the way of initiation for the first initiation. It symbolizes all of that. And um, it's everything to do with the Divine Mother. And therefore, the entire symbolism of femininity is in this particular sign. In the background there, I've got the, um, the tree of knowing of good and evil, of um, the symbolism of Adam and Eve, and Adam sort of, I mean, Eve sort of um, finding this fruit or plucking it and giving it to Adam to eat, and then starting the entire journey of reincarnation as a consequence. And all of the problems and sufferings and, and wisdom that's eventually going to be obtained through reincarnation. The colouring in, in the whole is green for the third ray of activity. And uh, the exoteric ruler is Mercury, again, this fluid analytical mind. The esoteric ruler is the moon, um, meaning psychicism, and essentially here the control of psychic phenomena. But the element is earth, which means that everything is brought down onto the earth. Uh, this is the sign of the birthing of the Christ's child, where the Christ is born in the cave of the heart, as it's called. Um, the whole sort of um, nine stages of gestation, of pregnancy, etc., until the, the child is born, eventuates here in Virgo. It's a mutable sign, and therefore it's got the mutable activity of the mother producing all the diversifications in nature. Also, as I said before, um, the symbolism of the mystery of the Sphinx, Virgo and Leo are once united. And I have here a little child playing with um, a rose, pointing at a rose in one hand and the Sphinx with the other hand, uh, indicating some of the mysteries to do with the symbolism of this particular um, sign, Virgo, and also the Ida Pingala and Shishumna Nadis are symbolized in the corner of that particular card to the flowers. 
and the wheat field, the old ancient symbolism of of, um, of Virgo with Ceres holding the golden wheat, and um, and also you get um, the constellation Andromeda. When you begin to understand the nature of these constellations and that they give birth, the galaxies such as Andromeda give birth to solar systems, millions of solar systems, and therefore the way of birthing of solar systems or planetary systems of anything to do with form space is symbolized by Virgo. Virgo is always esoterically pregnant. She always holds a child in her womb. The penultimate leader mother. Okay. Now the 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 ear of wheat means as well as the separativeness of the mind, it um it also means abundance. Virgo is the golden harvest and she gives material abundance to all of the children of, of this planet. I mean we human beings, because we're so selfish, we struggle and, and strive to steal from everything in order to build our little boxes of comfort. But in nature Everything is is um, wonderfully sort of given by the hand of God, um, by the mother of the world, um, to feed everything perfectly, the birds and the flowers, and everything has this wonderful symbiotic relationship, and that is Virgo, right? She gives abundantly to all of her her children, including to humanity, except humanity is so greedy and selfish that they cause the pain and suffering because they take everything, and they fight against Virgo and her laws. So Virgo is the government, governs the laws of nature. Exoterically, we have the activity of the womb of nature, and you'll understand that it's divine activity or materialistic activity. Therefore, um, a Virgo can be exceedingly materialistic. A Virgoans can be exceedingly materialistic in their thinking. Um, sometimes I, I think of it as a finicky Virgoing, Virgoan mind. Um, very, very finicky, and they can, when they write, they can write very, very neatly, and when they think, they can think very, very sort of spot on, um, very, very intelligently, right? And it's a very, very intelligent sign. And um, esoterically, it's the mother of the divine child, and the divine child here is the control of psychic phenomena, the moon, of the lunar forces within the uh, the being. Esoterically, or um, the, the symbolism of, of the Ida Nadi is the moon, and the symbolism of the Pingala Nadi, the Ida Nadi relates to matter, to consciousness, to form space, to the way of the intellect and its evolution. It's the moon, the psychic phenomena. Um, the, um, the Pingala Nadi, the evolution of consciousness, the love principle, the waking of the heart of consciousness itself, is the sun. And so the sun and the moon have always been the right and the left hands. And the same symbolism applies in Buddhism and in Tankas and things like that. And uh, so here, so the mother of the divine child is the divine child because she controls the lunar forces. The Ida Nadi is her domain. Either she's totally engrossed in it or master or mistress of of the feminine, the psychic, lunar forces. And of course, you all know that psychicism is always feminine. Hecate, Lilith, these types of names that have resounded, you know, witchcraft type of um, um, Im- images to do with psychic phenomena. Um, women are by naturally much more psychic and psychically attuned, clairvoyantly attuned than men. 
And esoterically, it's the sow of the harvest. So once you've attained enlightenment and assigned Virgo, then you sow the harvest of life. You sow the new seeds into the human consciousnesses that awakens eventually into full-grown man plants, as we call it, full-grown enlightened beings. So you sow the harvest for the next season. So very much some, you can see the two earth signs, Taurus and Virgo, have got very much to do with this green element, um, with the concept of, of wheat fields, the concept of material plane prosperity, the concept of, of um, food and things that people need to survive in the material world. And the sowing of the harvest is under the control of Jupiter, the Lord of Wisdom, of the second ray of love wisdom. Uh, Mercury is the fourth ray. Uh, the moon technically is also the fourth ray. And um, Jupiter is the second ray. Fourth ray of harmony is through conflict. So we get the second ray going through and through, but it's through the material or the earthy element by the middle cross.